CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's up? This is Rob Machete from Generation Kill and Fragile Mortals, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Talking Metal. This is John Astronomy. On the line is Mark Striegel, and we have a great show for you tonight. We have Rob Machetti from Generation Kill, and we have Ian McCurdy, good friend who is involved in some cool watches and a lot of other cool stuff, and he's going to tell you all about it. Yeah, he is standing by. He's texting me. He's ready to go. He's very excited to come on uh, Talking Metal. Ian's a, Ian's a great guy, and I'm looking forward to talking with him. And uh, earlier, I recorded an interview with Rob Machete, as you mentioned, from Generation Kill. And Generation Kill and, and Daryl McDaniels from Run DMC have been working together for a while now. And they've kind of, uh, they were going by, you know, DMC Generation Kill. But now they've officially have a name, and it's Fragile Mortals. We're going to talk to Rob all about this uh, new project, Fragile Mortals, which combines the uh, rap stylings of... of Daryl McDaniels, a guy practically invented hip hop, you know, along with Generation Kill, featuring Rob Dukes, the ex singer of, of Exodus, and, and Rob Machete, who we're going to talk to today, is just an amazing hits history. I mean, besides Generation Kill, work, you know, and working with Rob Dukes from Exodus, ex Exodus, I should say, um, he was in MOD with Billy Milano, who we've had uh, Billy on before. And, and, it, yeah. I got to tell one of my astronomy quick 30 second story. I was at a concert once in Jersey, and Billy Milano gave me a ride home to the Newport apartment long ago. I sort of remember that. What Was yeah. that after he was on Talking Metal or before? Oh, I, I think before, like way before. Like, like wow. back. Yeah, I don't even I I don't even think we did talking metal at that time. It was, it was I I think it was even our apartment. What like concert? Our old apartment. I, what I don't remember. I totally don't remember. Wow. Maybe it was like an Ace show or something. Like, but before I even worked for Ace, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. But it was either I was somewhere in Jersey, and I get a ride home by Billy Milano and and others. Yeah, 
yeah, I'd love to get Billy back on one of these days. Uh, it's definitely been a while. I know he was on Talking Metal at, at one point. I don't even know if I was involved in the interview. I feel like maybe you did it by yourself. I can't remember. What I we don't need. remember. Yeah, we need Billy back on. Um, but hey, let's get let's get our buddy Ian McCurdy on the line right now, a guy you introduced me to. Uh, John, I know you're going to step away for a minute, but uh, you'll be joining us after the conversation with Ian. We, we realized that our, our Skype is not up to date, and we a long story. Yeah. Tell Ian I said hello. Tell Ian I said hi. I will. I will. So here we go. I'm going to get Ian on the line, and then we'll be back in a little bit with John. Cool. See you guys. Hey, it's Mark Striegel at Talking Metal, and on the line we have Ian McCurdy. Ian, am I pronouncing your name right? I always was wondering if I am saying your name yes. right. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Good. Ian Good. McCurdy, that is me. Yeah. And first of all, a big thank you for helping hook up the recent Charlie Benante interviews. We've had actually two of them since, since you... Uh, were kind enough to introduce me to uh, to Charlie, and then also just recently we heard a great interview, a, a, a fantastic interview with Mark Slaughter, and you hooked that up too. So I just wanted to thank you for helping Talking Metal out with uh, a couple great interviews. Well, you're very welcome, and you do a great podcast, so it's my pleasure to help you out as much as I can. Cool. Well, I know you have a few songs you want to play for us today. We're going to let you kind of do some of the music programming on this episode. But um, also, I, I wanted to talk to you about just how you seem to know a lot of these rock stars, a lot of these rockers. How, how, how do you know them? How do, how do you get to know people like Lita Ford, like Chips Enough, Charlie Benante, Mark Slaughter? How do you get a personal relationship with these people? Well, it kind of goes back, I guess, mid-90s. I worked for Atlantic Records, and it was Slash, uh, Mammoth Records, and Lava Records. Yeah. And we did a lot of developing artists. And so we had a lot of friends in that industry that were friends of friends that you meet through the years. They just become friends, and um, you see them at shows. And, you know, as time goes on, you're just, um, as you get older, then you have some things in common with us as you get older and you just become friends and that's pretty much it just, wow, okay, um, cool. just acquaintances and friends of friends and um, just through the years just as it goes on the and, relationships um, survived and they they maintained through the years that's right yeah cool right. so so what do you let's uh, you, let's talk about what you're up to now like with your career because you have kind of a cool thing going on that involves one of my favorite bands and I wanted to, uh, you know, get the scoop from you. It involves a very heavy metal band and a, a very great watch company. What, what's what's going on? Explain this to me. Okay. Well, my day job is um, I work a regional sales for Seiko Watch Corporation, and I basically cover four states that I travel, and I do advertising, sales, marketing and pretty much everything across the board that has to do with the four states of North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and a little bit of Florida. So because I have friends in these different bands, then I try to incorporate my job into making a watch for these bands. And it needs to be, obviously, a band that is a little bit larger, that has a large fan base, because usually the price point on this is about $300, and uh, I design a watch with a friend of mine. His name is Larry Maynard. He's a graphic designer. He does a great job. 
and then we pitch it to the band, and then they like it or they don't like it, and we make changes, and then we make a sample and show it to them. And this is about a process of about nine months to a year to actually get something that that is a tangible product in your hand that shows uh, a product to the band or whomever. And, of course, it needs to be a band that is a larger band that you would has a fan base that you would put it out there and it would sell because it's a larger price point. Right. So, so, so what, what is the, I know you wanted to specifically come on to this show today to talk about a specific watch and can you, and a specific band. Can you tell us who that band sure. is? Well, this band is called Metallica. You might've nice. might heard of them. Yeah. They've, they've done a couple, a couple songs through the years. So this goes back about three years. And uh, do you know a guy named Chris Kiska? Of course. He worked with Ace. Yeah, and of course. I know Chris. He does security through the years, and he's known for having the largest Jaws collection from the movie. Yeah. And uh, he was friends with the merchandise manager at Metallica. And Chris and I were having lunch one day, and we just started talking about um, doing watches for bands. And he goes, well, who else do you, are you looking for? And I said, well, any band that is large enough that we can put a watch out there and it would sell and it would sell to their fan base. And, um, and he says, looks at me and says, is Metallica big enough for you? And I said, well, yeah, but you need to have some kind of interest from the band or the merchandise manager to actually you know, go forward a little bit. And he's like, well, hold on a second. And he starts dialing his phone. And he calls Toby, who at the time was the merchandise manager for Metallica. And Chris had done security for Kirk Hammett at that time frame as well. So he, hands, he talks to Toby and says, I've got Ian, and he wants to do a watch for you guys. And so he kind of hands me the phone. And so we talk and, and discuss a little bit. And from that meeting, I went to the Orion Festival in Detroit, Michigan, and met with Toby and the band and kind of put up a little rough sketch together. And then a year later, we came out with another a watch that was a different, uh, different watch company to make the first Metallica watch. So that was kind of uh, set, the, set the tone. And then fast forward two years later, we're now doing the second watch, cool. and I'm with Seiko this time. So, so where uh, is there a place online that the people can go that we could link through yes. today's show, show notes to check the watch out and maybe even potentially buy the watch? Sure. We actually made it for Metallica, and they're selling it on their website, Metallica.com. And when we, we did the first run, there's probably about 200 that we did a pre-order for, and there's a few left. And once these sell, then we're going to make more. So it's uh, it's going to be an ongoing item for them at, at Metallica.com. Cool. So it's a, it's a, the design is a round circle, a yin-yang design. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's silver and red. And um, but you can go to Metallica.com and check it out. Awesome. Well, we're going to have that link through today's show notes. Not that anyone needs the link, but Metallica.com. And, yeah, go check the watch out, guys. And... Before we let Ian go, he's picked out a couple songs here that we're gonna that I don't even know what they are. He hasn't told me yet, but <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna roll through them right here, and Ian is gonna kind of uh, DJ with me for the next couple minutes here. So, Ian, what do we have up first? Okay, first is 
I wanted to keep it kind of Metallica themed a little bit. And I wanted to do um, a song called As the Crow Flies from Jason Newstead's solo project called Newstead from the album Heavy Metal Music from 2013. Right, I remember it. Yeah, I remember that record. Cool. Let's do it. A little Jason Newstead right here on Talking Metal.
what you just heard was a little Jason Newstead here on Talking Metal. We have Ian McCurdy with us, who is doing all the music programming, at least for this portion of the show. What what do we have up next, Ian? All right, we got um, from the Ronnie Ronnie James Dio's tribute album. Yes. Called, yep. um, this is your life. It's the Metallica Ronnie Rising medley. Yeah, this is great. And that's. Yeah. In that song, there is a light in the black, tarot woman, stargazer, and kill the king. Yeah. This came out um, March of 2014, yeah. and it's got a bunch of great artists on there, like Anthrax and Tenacious D, and uh, just a great album. I suggest you check it out and pick it up. It's a tribute album, and all profits go to um, help the Ronnie James Dio cancer, cancer research. Yeah, right on. Let's do it right now.
That was a little Metallica covering Dio, paying tribute to Dio with uh, what all the rain. But they, those were all everything from that is is Rainbow, right? Yes, I believe yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, cool. Good. The light stuff. in the black, Terra Woman, Stargazer, and Kill the King. Yeah, absolutely, Rainbow stuff. So big influence the Rainbow era. You know, uh, I'm sorry, the Dio era Rainbow stuff was a big influence on Metallica and so many bands. Uh, such a, a influential um, part of rock and roll history for sure. And so, Ian, you got one more for us? Yeah, let's just do one that's a classic. Uh, it's, this is kind of from the album that turned me on to Metallica. It's from And Justice for All, and it's called Eye of the Beholder. Yeah, it's from a good August one. of 1988. Nice. Yeah, I saw them on that. Actually, it was before the record came out. They did that Monsters of Rock. That was a great, yeah. great tour. I saw them in Greensboro, North Carolina, and Queensryche opened up for them, and that was right when Operation Mindcrime was starting to get big. And they left the tour, unbeknownst to me, and I went with a friend of mine, Paul Bowman, up to Virginia, and we saw... Um, Metallica in Virginia and the cult opened up. Oh, right. So that on. was uh, that was right. very cool. Yeah, cool. Well, let's let's hit that right now. A little Metallica off of what song was it again? Tell me the song. Eye of the Beholder. Oh, yeah, right. From okay. And Justice for All. Yeah, here we go.
All right. So we just heard a little Metallica. Ian, I just wanted to thank you for joining us here on Talking Metal. And, uh, yeah, good luck with the watch, man. And keep us posted on any other bands uh, that are well, great. you're, you're going to be doing a watch with. That would be uh, Yeah, we're cool. actually talking to somebody else right now. Ooh, and, um, Can you say who? <laughs> well, let's just say this. They were very radio-friendly rock in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Okay. Very popular band. Hmm. And a member of that band has been on your podcast before if you oh. can put it together okay i was gonna say bon jovi but we've never had anybody uh, from bon jovi so uh all right all right you got, i gotta think about that i really don't have a clue because we've had so many people but radio friendly hmm. all right i'll uh i'll take some guesses and text you all right sounds all right. good all right, man. Well, thanks so much for joining us on this episode right. of talking metal and again we encourage all the talking metal listeners to check out the metallica watch at metallica.com and also thank you for picking some great tunes all right well thank you so much for having me on and um you got a great podcast keep it going okay thanks so much ian we'll talk to you soon all right brother thank you Bye-bye. Bye. cool it was great talking with Ian, and we are getting ready to get into my interview with Rob Machete and John. Um, Generation Kill, as you know, is working with Daryl McDaniels of Run DMC. Let's hit yeah, some. You want to hit some cool. Generation Kill before yeah. we? Uh, yeah, let's hit some uh, older Generation Kill. Cool. Older. Okay, I guess we should do the first record, and let me yeah. just. Excellent idea. This is the title track off the first Generation Kill record, which I'm going to talk to Rob about. It's called Red, White, and Blood. And then after that, we'll get into my interview with Rob Machete of Generation Kill.
Hey, it's Mark Striegel of Talking Metal, and checking back in with us on this time on the phone, we have Rob Machete. Rob, of course, plays with one of my favorite bands, Generation Kill, and he has a, an amazing history, and it sounds like an amazing future. He's working with uh, DMC, Daryl McDaniels. Exactly. Cool. Well, so, Rob, for a long time, I mean, at least a year, we've been talking about you know DMC re- recording and working with with your band Generation Kill and then at yeah. some point I guess probably like a number of months back at this point you guys made a decision to no longer call it DMC and Generation Kill and come up with this new name Fragile Mortal uh, Mortals right Fragile Mortals yeah. and yeah. and uh, move forward under this new band name and uh, just because the Talking Metal listeners have been hearing about DMC and Generation Kill, I just wanted to make it clear that now there's a, an official name, Fragile Mortals, yeah. and ask you why. Why did you change after uh, change the name after working with Daryl for uh, um, such a long there time? Was a, there was a number of reasons. Um, the, the, the main reason is this. We didn't want to come off like Anthrax Public Enemy as far as like we just got together, made some music or did a record or, and then kind of went our separate ways. That was uh, one of the reasons. The other reason is the DMC name and trademark and and, um, brand name. This really doesn't have much to do with that. This is a complete different thing than run DMC or DMC by himself. And on the flip side, we were running into issues where I would write songs, I'd write music, and even Dukes would say, well, that doesn't sound like Generation Kill. And I'm like, well, it's really not. But as long as our name was in the title, you know, Generation Kill, we like to think that we're not in a box or a genre, but we sort of are, you know what I mean? And... um by coming up with a new name, it completely liberated all of us from our past as far as, you know, the last thing I want to hear is, oh, that doesn't sound like Generation Kill. Well, it's really not. It's it's a different band. And we were doing that in our own camp. And Run DMC fans, if you're expecting Run DMC out of this, you're not going to get it. So, like, we didn't want to mislead people. We also didn't want to come off as we're just latching on to his name for our benefit. We, we really don't gain anything. Generation Kill, at this point, by taking our name out of the title, it would have been the coolest thing ever to have Generation Kill right beside DMC in a band name, but it doesn't sound like a band. And, and if you put featuring in the title, that's not a band either. And how do you put that on a drum head or a backdrop, you know? So, right. We just decided, you know, we needed a cool name, and we were calling the album The Dark Project. We were going to call the band The Dark Project after we said, let's, let's come up with a name, and then we found out that was taken. So the song that was written in honor of my two brothers was originally called Fragile Mortals, a title that I got from uh, Flea, from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Wow. He was talking about Hillel and, 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 and the whole band. When they were younger, they were just reckless crazy and he's like but they soon realize that we're all just fragile mortals and that title always stuck with me in my head and uh you know when it came time to write a song in honor of my two past brothers you know 
because uh, they were they were invincible to me and to themselves, and and but they obviously weren't. You know what I mean? So we uh, we took the title of that song, Fragile Mortals, called the Bandit, and renamed that song Whispers of Death. So that's <laughs> in a nutshell. It's basically why we changed the name. And, and I'm sure, like, right in our bio, right at the top of the bio, I was going to say, Fragile Mortals, featuring Randall McDaniels, uh, Run DMC. I mean, if people dig a little bit and if they hear what's going on, I'm sure on digital radio, satellite radio, I was going to say Fragile Mortals featuring DMC and Generation Kill or Rock Duke, so... Right um, now, now I, I want to talk about your brothers because I, I think that's that's uh, something we need to definitely touch upon, uh, and such uh, a major thing that that happened to you and to this band. But b- before yeah. we go there, before we go there, um, it, it, was there any discussion like like within the band, like, hey, we've already did all this, done all this groundwork with promoting it as DMC and Generation Kill. You know, you guys, uh, Daryl was on that metal show talking about it. You know, you've been doing, you've done some interviews, I know on this podcast and other places. Was there any uh, thought that, that maybe that promotion was all for no, <laughs> all for all for nothing. Well, I don't think it was all for no, nothing, because, but you know, somewhat, but, somewhat a wasted opportunity. No, because it just showed that we were working together. You know what I mean? Like that was the infancy stage of, uh, luckily having like, you know, Rob Dukes in the band and Daryl in the band, uh, Daryl was able to go on that metal show very before we even had a record out. You know, our record still isn't out, you know? So when you have that much clout and you're asked to go on, you know, a rapper is going on that metal show, you know the connection because he's working with us. So we gave away a bunch of shirts with DMC's name, Generation Kill's name. It just showed that the two bands merged. Uh, merged. So, you know, and there's no wasted opportunity with it because it basically introduced some people to uh, the collaboration of what we're doing. If you type, if you Google DMC generation, just that we come up, you know what I mean? So the search engine and all that stuff, it all leads, you know, right back to uh, fragile morals now. And uh, you know, if people, we want people to dig a little bit um, and give this record a chance. Like we don't want it to be just anybody who's going to judge it prematurely without even listening to it. Oh, a rapper in a metal band, forget that. Then they don't really deserve to listen to it. We don't want them to be our fans, you know? Right. We're not in the ass-kissing stage of our careers, either as a new band that does that or a legendary old band who does it just to keep their fans, you know. We're not really... Um, this is a completely, as, as, as dickish as it may sound, it's a completely self-serving band where we're just trying to please ourselves because you can't please everybody. <laughs> you know what right I mean? On. Right it's on. impossible or else you're talking out of both sides of your mouth and you'll look like a jackass. You know what I mean? So we're just trying to be honest up front. you know, there's no hidden agendas, you know, and doing a band like this and having enough balls to say, you know what, let's take DMC out of our name. Will it cost some sales? I'm sure, like record company people and managers, would, you know, would be like, "Why would you take his name out of the title?" Uh, that's not really. It, 
it's not really a concern of ours. I think the having a band name, this is the first time in Daryl's life he was ever part of a band that didn't bear his name. Right, right there right. speaks volumes. Totally. You know what I mean? So it's a bold statement, and uh, that's what we're about. Okay, so for the Talking Metal listeners who may not know the story, if you've listened to every Talking Metal episode, you probably already know it, but Rob Dukes, the ex-singer of Exodus, connected yeah. with with Daryl McDaniels, DMC, of Run DMC, and Rob brought his band, Generation Kill, which you're uh, a part of, uh, to the table, yeah. and you guys started working together. And well, it's even better than that. Rob met Daryl at his very last show with Exodus, Rock on the Range. Okay. Wow. They, met, they met at the show, and Rob said, I want to give you my New York band CD. But then they missed each other, and that was it. And then they crossed paths at the airport again. Yeah. 30, second, 30 seconds later, like if Dukes would have wiped his hands after, would have, would have washed his hands after he took a dump, this, this, we wouldn't even be having this conversation because Daryl would have <laughs> yeah. walked on the plate. Right. <laughs> But, you know, 30 seconds would have changed our whole lives. Their paths wouldn't have crossed again. We wouldn't have gotten them the CD. And the, the funny thing about it is the one song that really jumped out at him is probably the one that was most misunderstood by metal fans and, and you know, Rob Duke's Exodus uh, X fans, uh, Carney Love. It's just right. a weird so, musically so, song that I wrote gave to Dukes, he said, wow, it sounds like a Twisted Carnival. And he wrote it about a Twisted Carnival. And two people who really dug that song were Daryl and Rob Zombie. And that's good enough for me. Oh, <laughs> you know? yeah, totally. So if our whole, you know, supposed genre didn't get that song, record label people didn't get that song. But it was like, you know, whatever. We didn't write it for you. We just wrote it, you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah. that song grabbed him and he, he just immediately reached out to Rob and he's like, we got to do something together. Wow. Wow. And so flash forward, you guys start writing together, start working together, start recording a record together down, down the road. Um, and, and during this, this period, I mean, you, you just go through, and I, I don't think we've ever spoken about this on the podcast, just, uh, yeah. a horrific, uh, situation with with not one but but two of your brothers and i i get i get bummed out for you just talking about it but can, yeah you know the in a in a way the new name of the band fragile mortals yeah. directly reflects back to to your brothers and and can you i mean you don't have to go deep into it if you don't want to but can you just no, 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 kind fine. of explain yeah. a little bit about what happened during okay, the well, the songwriting or was it the recording process uh of it was uh yeah, I mean, it was the whole process of making this record has been a two-year process between... We, we, originally, we were going to just write one song for Daryl's solo record, which we did. He came to my house, and we just, me and him alone, wrote like three more on the first day we met. So we knew there was chemistry. At that point, you know, both my brothers were alive and healthy, and, and they were so happy for me that we were working together. And that was video blog number one that we did, you could see I'm happier than a pig in shit, you know? Right. And what year and then, are we talking? Like 2013, um, 14? I guess, I guess two, you know, two years ago, right. 2014, I guess it was. 
we start working on it, you know, and you can watch the blogs, you know, the, the, you know, the making of the record. I'm, I'm like a, a little kid, little school girl. I'm so happy. And then by the second, my brother Mike gets sick in May. And then by July 9th, he's gone. And oh my God. we're still in the process of making this record. So, you know, we're, 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 um, you know, Daryl came and visited him in the hospital and, and my brother and Mike got to meet him at my house when we were doing some backup vocals here. And, and, you know, in a matter of months he was gone and I was still in the process of making this record, but I had to take off for like two months just to be by his side. Right. Totally. And, um, but we still, I still had to go into the studio here and there. And so you can kind of see, from the first blog to the second blog where we're making the record, my, my, my attitude starts changing, obviously, because all the shit that's going on. And I do a little tribute to him at the end, rest in peace, when I brought a mic, you know. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm emptying his apartment, you know, which you have to do. And as I'm emptying it, my sister-in-law from my other brother, who's a year younger than him, calls me with more bad news that, you know, that Anthony is ill and three months later he's gone. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. So within three months, you know, two brothers being gone. And then again, I'm still trying to make this record, you know, and, and, but we knew, so we knew Anthony was going and it, it was very quick, but what I was able to do was he's a musician as well. And, um, I went up to his house with my portable studio and we had written the song Fragile Mortals. It's about Mike, really. You know what I mean? But then right, Anthony totally. was we wrote Fragile Mortals and I said, you know what? I told Anthony, I said, you're going to play on this song. I'm going to immortalize you with this freaking song. He thought it was the coolest thing ever because he's always in these drum circles and stuff. So I went up to his house. We multi-tracked me and him and his best friend. Only thing I knew at that point was the tempo of the song. We were rehearsing it for months, getting ready to record it. But I knew I was racing the clock with him being on the planet, honestly. So I went up there. We tracked eight tracks, multi-track. Of, of, made, made three people sound like a massive drum circle. And then three, day, you know, three days before he had passed, we went in the studio, tracked it. I added pianos, acoustic, um, string section, violins, like everything, everything, everything. And unfortunately, like the day before he passed, I had it in my phone to, to show him, you know, and he was in a coma and I played it for him as he was laying there. You know what I mean? But, um, unfortunately like a day after that he was gone and, uh, but now, this song, it's like, you know, we're not like one of these bands that's going to air all sorts of dirty laundry and personal stuff and this and that, but like something like that, there's nothing to gain from it other than like, it's therapeutic, honestly, for me. When I hear this song, and I hear him playing with me, and then he, you know, he never got to hear the guitars or the bass or the string section over it. Um, he ne- you know, in, right. and to hear it now, what it has become, and then to have Rob and Daryl 
write about both of them and, and their fight to stay alive and, and the courage that they showed, you know, um, it, it's the song is just has this huge meaning, obviously for the whole band and myself and my family. And it's, uh, you know, it's not like some bullshit song that the whole album has meaning, but, um, I think every album should have that, but you get into the, the to the territory of, you know, you got to give the people what they want. Uh, no, like art is supposed to be reflective of your soul and your personality and what you, what goes on in your life. At least true art is, you know what I mean? And totally, um, that's what we're about. And, and like, I was so honored that those guys would do that for me and that they would allow me to, put my brother on the track and, you know, I mean, I know they wouldn't say no, you know what I mean? But, um, but what it did was it just brought all of us even closer together, you know, as a band, as a family. And uh, when I hear the song now, you know, it it gave, you know, early on it gave me different feelings, you know, sad feelings. Now when I hear it, you know, it hasn't even been a year yet that they're both gone. It, it gives me a different feeling where it, it makes me happy that their memory and, and their, like Daryl said on blog three, you know, their meaning of life and death is on this record and that's forever. Right. Absolutely. So, and when you refer to Daryl talking on, on, on uh, vlog three, you're talking about these cool things that you guys did uh, in the studio where you posted like video vlogs or blogs uh, yeah, and kind the of, making yeah. of the record. Yeah. And know, we're going to, uh, we're going to post those or at least link those through today's show notes yeah. at talkingmetal.com for anybody who hasn't seen them. Um, they're definitely worth a lot checking of times, out. The guys didn't really know the cameras were rolling. You know what I mean? It, a lot of times um, it was kind of fly on the wall stuff. Um, and other times, you know, obviously we're giving commentary where we're obviously we're, we're being filmed and stuff, but the behind the scenes stuff, it's really genuine because no one's acting up for the camera. No one, and most of the time the guys didn't even know the cameras were on, even Daryl, you know, uh, right. and Duke, they were doing their vocals. There was a camera on in the corner and in between takes. And it just kind of gives you a perspective of like what a lot of bands are too afraid to show you because of some uh, bullshit image, you know what I mean? Like, it's okay to laugh, it's okay to cry, it's okay, you know, you're human. We're fucking humans, you know what right. I mean? It's not, we're not these uh, superhero robots, you know? Like, And and uh, we like showing the process of how we make records, you know what I mean? Um, it's fun, and it's interesting, and it's it's uh, on... on um, it's not the way that a lot of bands go in and do it. Most bands go in the studio and in a week, two weeks time, they come out with a record. You know, we went in one song at a time, two songs at a time and recorded just so each song could really be developed and nurtured, you know? Totally. Cool. And, you know, this, uh, this album is not out yet. Uh, any idea as to when we might be hearing it? You know, are we looking well, soon? We're releasing two singles because um, we're starting to do some shows in the summer now. Um, so we're releasing two singles. One single is called Suicide, which now 
by coincidence, is linked into Daryl's book about suicide. For a lot of people don't know, they think, you know, this guy was on top of the world and lived the dream and all that. But when Run DMC kind of fell off, you know, in the 90s, I guess you'd say, he was an alcoholic going through a major depression, just finding out he was adopted when he was starting to write a book. You know, he didn't know he was adopted until very late in his life. So Run DMC is done. He finds out he's adopted late, you know. He felt like he was betrayed and, you know, lied to. And plus he's going through a major depression. He was suicidal, you know. And right. luckily, he, he thought, well, he thought his purpose in life was over. Run DMC, walk this way, blah, blah, blah. You know, what else can I do? But in the haze of all that stuff, this Sarah McLaughlin song, of all people, and he's man enough to admit it. Yeah grabbed him it latched up he latched onto this song and that song saved his life you know and and i don't i don't remember the name of the song um but this song kind of just talked him off the ledge of what he was going to do he um got his life together did a song with sarah mclaughlin and met her and she he explained everything to her and then the funny thing is this she says daryl I was adopted as well, you know. He oh, never knew yeah. any of that. And so so the, the song we wrote, he connected to his book, which comes out July 5th. Oh, so wow. on, the audio, on the audio version of his book, our song, Suicide, will be at the end of it in its entirety. All right. So with that, we have to release it on iTunes because people are going to be hearing it in the audio book and if they want it, if they want to buy it, or it should be available. So okay. July 5th, Suicide will be available on iTunes, and the day before, which is 4th of July, we're going to release Fired Up. And the reason we're doing that, you know, I was even questioned by my own singer, Rob Dukes, like, why are we releasing two singles a day apart from each other? And it's like, well, because no one else would. Right. You know, we're doing, we're doing things unconventionally, and we're doing, we're, we're changing the rules, and Fired Up, and suicide are two complete ends of the spectrum right one is a feel-good happy motivational song and the other one is dark about about you know drugs and suicide so we figure like that's a broad broad spectrum between what the whole album represents suicide being at one side fired up being the other thing and in the middle every all eight other songs fill the gaps between those two right on Right on. Well, Rob, I want you to hang on the line with us, but right now I want to get into a song called Lot Lizard, and uh, <laughs> then I want to come back and talk with you a bit more. This is Generation Kill and Daryl McDaniels, DMC, with Lot Lizard. What you just heard was the song Lot Lizard. Uh, I bought that on iTunes under the name DMC and Generation Kill. So will that change? Will that be, that's now a Fragile Mortals song, yeah, technically, right? Yeah, it's a right? Fragile Mortals song with a, with a new mix, basically. Oh, new mix. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, it's, it's part of the new, it's part of the full length. Um, it's right in the middle of the order of the record in the, you know, when you mentioned the title, I just laughed because the song gets such different responses. Like, some people are just repulsed by it, and other people get it. You know, like, um, 
and the funny thing is, you know, over the top guys or metal guys or, or obnoxious people, like they, they're offended. Like, I can't believe that it even offends me. I'm like, right. <laughs> why? But a woman came up to me and she goes, I heard that song lot lizard. And I was like, Oh God, here we go. Yeah. And she goes, I wanted to save that girl. And I'm like, see, <laughs> yeah. you get it. Yeah. You know, Rob paints, Rob is a very visual writer. And unfortunately, Exodus never got to see that because it's it's a shame. The guy, he writes songs, and, and I don't give a shit. I'm going to say it. I've never had a Slayer song, a Metallica song, an Exodus song. I've never had words put me in, a, in the story. Rob yeah. writes like he's writing a screenplay or he's writing a book or he's writing a television show or, or a movie. If you like put on headphones and listen or have to read along, you can't make out what he's saying. His songs tell a story, you know, there's a plot and there's a theme and there's a climactic buildup and there's, you know, um, everything that, you know, good dramas and, crime shows and you know the, the song vegas on, on our last generation kill record it could be a csi yeah. uh, episode you know what i mean like lot lizard paints a very dark picture of, of an underworld that most people in america aren't even aware of like yeah. truck stop hookers and you know it, it's it, it's there and, and just because people don't don't realize it um they just, you know, they're living in suburbia and yeah. in their, you know, middle class, upper class lives. Rob, Rob dove into something that once Daryl agreed to it, I was like, I was a little nervous about the subject, but Daryl was like, oh, cool. You know, he, he was willing to do something different than, you know, Run DMC never went there. Yeah. You know? Right on. Right on. Well, Again, two singles on the way in just a few days. Looking forward to, to those. Um, and the full record will follow shortly after that? Um, I'm not sure exactly. You know, I, I hate to be one of those people who, like, with the coming soon and right. a date to put a date. Like, that's why we're, you know, we're so close to the 4th and 5th of July. But until it's completely solidified... I don't like to announce anything. Yeah, no, that's cool. Uh, that's cool. But, no, it's coming, and, you know, we're, we're hoping, obviously, before 2017 so we can get out for next summer and really, really do some touring or playing. You know, like, we're playing a few festivals this year, this summer, and, um, you know, that's great for us. You know, we don't want to you can't really go out and tour a record that's not even out yet. So, but we can go introduce the world to, uh, you know, a handful of the songs and we're actually doing our first complete show as fragile mortals. Um, on the 20, 26th of June. Cool. Where's but, that? Uh, is that a, is that a thing? In, that's... in Long Island. Oh, okay. uh, there's a radio station called the shark. 94.3 in, in Long Island, that's actually been playing Fired Up. Oh, cool. And the response has been, you know, amazing. So they're like, you guys should probably come do a show out here and um, we will 
back the show and promote the show. And so we're doing it, you know, and that's basically how it's working. Uh, DMC gets offers for festivals and he's like, I'm taking my new band, which is us, Fragile Fragile Mortals, you know, but in in doing those shows, we have to do a, a couple of, and with pleasure, we have to do a couple of amped up versions of the Run DMC Classic. So it's like uh, yeah, which I've seen you guys do live, and they're just fantastic. I mean, so oh, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. I mean, I don't want to butcher his stuff, but he wants to do amped up, rocked up versions, which they already are to begin with. The ones that we choose to do, you know, King of Rock, Rock Box, Walk This Way, Tricky, they all have electric guitar in them, right? But they don't play like we do. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Like right on. there's just something about you know the guys that we have in this band, like the, our delivery just is, uh, raw and, and powerful. And, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Rob, before, before we wrap things up today, you know, you, you have quite a history and I don't really feel we've ever really gone into it in much detail on, uh, on okay. talking metal, but you know, you play bass in, in generation kill. And I, I just yeah. briefly want to talk about the generation kill history too, but, because um, there's been a lot of members kind of in and out of, of Generation Kill, and I kind of want to talk about that. But let's go way back. I mean, Propane, a very well-known band, you played you played guitar in that band, right? Yeah. Well, you know, my whole basic career, you know, the 25 years of making records, I was bouncing back and forth, you know, and originally I was, just, I was a guitar player, you know? And... Uh, on the first early demos of what I was doing, you know, everyone wanted to be the guitar player or the singer. No one wanted to play bass. F- trying to find a bassist was impossible. So I wound up playing bass on, like, early demos before MOD and before Propane. So I'm playing guitar, but laying down the bass tracks. I wasn't much of a lead guitarist, but I was a rhythm player. So, you know, I was always locked into the drummer rhythm section-wise. So I... I um get into a band called Kill Power who needs a guitar, uh, a bass player. I was in a band prior to that called Molester playing guitar. So they asked, you know any bass players? And I said, well, I play bass too. So I jumped into Kill Power very briefly, find out the band Mutilation needs a bass player. All guys that I'm friends with, two of the members wind up become, be, uh, joining me in Generation Kill many oh, years okay. later. Um, so I'm now, playing that bass. mutilation, what you, we're talking, what, like early 90s, maybe? Um, I was 21 when I released my first record ever, and that was with mutilation. So I would say around 91, 92-ish. Okay. Um, so while I was doing mutilation, um, I'm in a studio in Sayreville, New Jersey, Tracks East, with the producer Steve Evans, who's, you know, gone on to huge success as a producer. Um. He tells me Billy Milano just did an album called Rhythm of Fear in 1992, and he's going on the road. He doesn't have a band. He played the bass on the record, but, you know, it's Billy Milano. He's not going to play an instrument and sing. He needs a bass player, and you'd be perfect. So I said, what do I got to do? He said, learn every song by M.O.D. and S.O.D. So at that time, S.O.D. had, you know, Speak English or Die, M.O.D. had four albums out at that point. I went home, learned everything. Yeah. You know, everything. Before I even met Billy, I could play every SOD song, every MOD song. I wasn't giving him a choice. Like, it was going to be like no decision kind of vibe. 
And had you I been a fan of like SOD and MOD before? Yeah, yeah. yeah. In high school, we were, you know, uh, sorry to be, you know, uh, we were getting high listening to MOD and SOD. And, right. You know, burnouts, drinking beers in the woods, you know, never imagining. At that point, you know, to me it was, you know, from Master of Puppets down, you know, Metallica. You know, from Among the Living, Spreading the Disease, those records, Rain and Blood, all back, Overkill from, you know, Taking Over, and um, all those albums. Great that, stuff, know, yeah. That was the time it was, you know what I mean? And M.O.D. was part of that, you know? Exodus, so all, you know, the early stages of that metal. I was a fan. I wanted to be there, you know, in that world, and I was trying to get there with mutilation, but I just didn't think we were going to get to that level, yeah. you know, either in a timely, we had made a record and it had been released worldwide, but you know, we were struggling big time, you know? Yeah. We went, I went from begging to get on gigs as an opener to being in the headlining band. You know what I mean? Which is MOD. If MO, yeah. yeah. If MOD would have came to town, mutilation would have been begging to be the opener, not get paid, play 20 minutes, set up in front. You know, no. that would have been an honor for for us. So I I had to jump the line, and I, it was heartbreaking in a way, but in another way, I, I had to do it. You know what I mean? Right on. And, right on. and just, for, guess, you know, just for the Talking Metal listeners, just, I, I, you know, who may not know the, the total history, S.O.D. was a band with Billy, and it included... Uh, yeah, Danny, uh, what's his name? Danny, uh, Lil, Danny Lilker, Lilker, right? Uh, who had been in Anthrax in the very early days, and and uh, it also included Scott Ian and and, and Charlie Benante from yeah. from Anthrax, and then that kind of um, ceased to exist. I, I, th- I guess mainly because Scott and Charlie were more focused on on Anthrax, and Billy kind of spun it off. Would, would you, uh, do you agree with that term and form um, MOD? Yeah. In a way, USA, ow, USA for MOD was supposed to be the next, the second SOD album. Okay. Like, Aren't, Aren't You Hungry was an SOD song, except for it was imitation of life's music. If, if you research the song, Aren't You Hungry, SOD, you'll see them opening for uh, Wendy O. Williams and Motorhead at the Ritz, and they play Aren't You Hungry, Lyrically, but they're playing imitation of life. And if you now that I play it out, the songs are very similar. You know, it's like sitting in my kitchen, stuff from having eight. You put that lyric over that imitation of life riff, and it, so when SOD didn't want to do the second record, Billy already had "Aren't You Hungry" and maybe one other song. And he just chose to continue, you know what I mean, and not call it SOD. And uh, the cool thing about me joining MOD was, in 93, SOD hadn't even been to Europe yet. And MOD only played England at that point. So when we went in 93, it was Europe's first time to hear SOD and MOD music live. And you could say it wasn't SOD, but... It would be as if Ozzy was playing Satin without, you know, with with his with his new band or with Randy Rhodes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they got to see SOD. We did Pussy Whips, Kill Yourself, uh, United Forces, 
Fistbang and Mania, Freddy Krueger. We did them all. You know what right. I mean? And, you know, to be part of that was just on unbelievable at 21, 22 years old. So then you um, went you went from that MOD to <laughs> propane was was next after that, right? Or was there something in between? Yeah. The funny thing is this: the reason the way I got that gig, I didn't know propane personally. I like I loved their first album, but I didn't know them. But for some reason, I visualized myself being in that band before I even met them. Like I was driving a van, you know, just working a normal job still when I was in MOD because they didn't, we didn't tour all that much with MOD. So I had to keep a, a day job, but I heard the propane stuff. And for some reason I visualized myself being in that band and I don't know why I just liked it, I guess, you know? And, um, MOD and Pro propane did an American tour in 94. Um, and we were out from September till, you know, almost Christmas. So we lived on a tour bus, a pink ex Motley Crue tour bus. <laughs> we lived on that bus together. It was Motley Crue's old tour bus? Old bus. Wow. And their old driver. That was his, his claim to fame that he was in the uh, Home Sweet Home video with that bus, you know? And we were like, whatever. You know, big deal. <laughs> you know, but. We lived together on that bus. We became really close. And what would happen was, the reason I made the transition back to guitar with propane was um, we did that tour together. And MOD, at that point, was two guys from Whiplash. No, no, actually, we had gotten rid of those guys, or they had left by that time. We had Dave Shavari on guitar, Tom Kulinchuk. I mean, Dave Shavari on drums, Tom Kulinchuk on guitars. And um, when Soundcheck would come and during the day, nobody was even uh, into it. It was just like, ah, whatever. No one really soundchecked. But in my life, I never got sound checks. Yeah. So I'd have the whole stage to myself, and I'd be like, I'll do it. <laughs> right. So, and Propane always did a soundcheck. So before the Propane soundcheck, I'd be up there by myself, and it would be drums. I'd play the drums. Bass, play the bass. Guitar, I'd play guitar. Night after night after night after night. Very, I mean, I don't even know how many nights. Three months, September, October, like four, three, three and a half month tour. These guys saw me up there playing. So the tour ends. We're all really close, good friends now. I get a call. They went straight to Europe. I went home for Christmas. Right. I get a phone call from Dan Richardson, who's in propane as, as a drummer at the time. He was in the Crumb Suckers prior to that. He calls me from Switzerland, and I know the club he was in because I played there before. I know exactly where he is. I'm like, well, you know, what are you doing? Why are you calling me from Switzerland, you know? Right. He's like, we're getting rid of our guitar player. You know, do you want the gig? And I'm like, I'm a bass player, you know? Yeah. I think, yeah. And, and his response was, Rob, we saw you playing guitar every night at Soundcheck. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so I basically did my audition without knowing, knowing it. it. Yeah, it's sound checked. And wow. they're like, I go, well, when do I got to be ready? And they said, a week. You know, we're getting rid of our rhythm guitar player, and we're going to bring you out immediately. Wow. And I'm like, oh, I, dude, but at this point, I don't even own a guitar. I had to learn two propane albums. I had to uh, borrow a busted acoustic guitar from my neighbor with like four strings on it. But luckily 
playing rhythm guitar and propane, you only need four strings. <laughs> and that's not a dig. Right on, right on. But it's the truth. Um, and, and luckily, I had been brainwashed to the two albums they were playing at that point because I was on tour with them, so hearing their set night after night after night. So I knew it mentally. I just had to convert it to my hands. But there were a few techniques that I never, even, I didn't even know how to play, like hammer-ons and, and different, you know, I really wasn't all that amazing a guitar player, you know? So yeah. within a week, I had to learn their songs, figure them out, and then actually figure out muscle memory uh, coordination techniques that I had never done. And I just sat in my house, living at my mom, you know, living with my mom at the time still. I just dove into it head first and just, you know, by the time I got to their first rehearsal with them, it, again, it was. I gave them no choice but to take me, and we. we it wasn't even like an audition. It was rehearsal, and then a right. week later, I think my first show with them was in, in Holland, in front of you know thousands of people with, uh, Motorhead, Sick of It All, Machine Head on their first album, no less. Uh, you know, just yeah. tons of tons of uh, Madball. Wow. Yeah. But, so, you know, and uh, so, <laughs> just from there it was you know so I was in. And, yeah, I mean, and, and propane has gone on and still still releasing records to this day. Really, are you um, up at all on on what they've what they've been up to recently? Yeah, I know they're still continuing, and Gary's the only original. And the guy who replaced me after I had left, um, he's long gone too. Right. But okay. you know, the cool thing for me is the third and fourth album that I played on. Third album. Um, contents under pressure reached the Billboard Top 50 wow. in Germany, and we were in. We were like we had a full page ad with our faces in it in Billboard magazine, and we recorded that album in my house. And and what was cool about that was when I joined Propane, they recorded at Pyramid Studios, where everybody and their mother recorded Anthrax, SOD, Testament, Overkill. They used to record up there. They used to rehearse in a paid spot. They used to have a storage facility for all the gear. When I joined Propane, they put me up in a beach house in Long Beach, Long Island. We rehearsed at my house. We stored the gear in my house. We recorded the album in my house, and it was the highest charting album we had ever done because all the demos I was handing in for my material was home demos, and Gary was really impressed with them. And you know, at that point. Gary had only written, Gary was the only member who wrote music for that band on the first two records. He played rhythm guitar and bass on those first two records. So when I came in the band, I started writing and recording demos and the drummer and guitar player said, why are you wasting your time? You know, he writes everything and he plays the guitar on it as well. You're probably not going to play on this record or write. I said, well, with that attitude, you're right. But that's, not what I do, you know, and, and I just, I didn't force my way in. I just presented here. I wrote a bunch of material and just pick out what you like and whatever you want, you know, whatever you want to do. At that point, I wasn't even going to play guitar on the record still because Gary was such a great rhythm guitarist. He had tracked half the record. We get to the songs that I wrote and they're not sounding like the demo. And he's like, what did you do? You know, how did you get that sound? And I go, I don't know. It's just the way I play. So I wound up tracking the songs I wrote. And in doing that, he says, now the album is unbalanced. 
your style is completely different than mine. You need to retract the whole record. And I was like, done, you know, perfect. You know, not that I was a better player than him. I just had a different technique. It was a little more sloppy, a little raw, but it had more weight. When he doubled his guitars, they were meticulously tight. It sounded like one guitar. When I doubled guitars, it sounded like six of them, you know? So it just worked out. It just worked out in, uh, in my favor that, uh, um, you know, that my style blended better with the rest of the record. And yeah, I wound up doing two, doing two records with, with propane and then uh, a live record as well afterwards. And then, and there's almost a lesson there too. Cause it's like, you know, uh, you know, I heard Steve Martin, you know, the actor, comedian, banjo player say that, that, you know, you, it, you, you have to be so good and and that people don't ignore you and that's how you make it in show business it's not it's not oh get a good agent do this and it's just it's just to to go in there and and you know give them no choice this is this is the shit well, and we're going to go with it this is the thing you know to put it even simpler than that Wayne Gretzky just said it you miss 100% of the shots you don't take right yeah. that says it all right you know if i would have went in there well he plays all the guitars i'm not going to waste my time you know what I mean, you're not taking the shot. You know what I mean? So exactly, you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take, and that's how I've been able to um, excel or exceed, you know, exceed my own expectations as a musician, as a player. Um, and but but in doing that, my my techniques and my skills have grown over time. You know what I mean? Like right on. I'm a way better guitar player and bass player and songwriter now obviously than I was when in my, t- my early twenties, you know what I mean? But you grow and you develop and, and, you know, instead of, I, I didn't want to be one of those people who found a niche and then just beat it to death, you know, right. and a lot of bands do that for fear of losing fans and losing their genre or whatever. Everybody calls Metallica sellouts, never to their face, but, the only reason they changed what they were doing was because everyone else was selling out, trying to copy what they were doing. Yeah. Very you good know, point. You, you, you run out of things to do. And at least they had enough balls to try to grow and develop. And, and whether you liked it or you didn't, they were willing to take risks and go other places. And, you know, Taking everybody risks, followed yeah. and you run out of things to do. And, and as much of a business as Metallica is, they're artists. Still, I I yeah. still have like the the utmost respect for those guys, you know. And luckily totally. through Rob, I've gotten to meet and hang with them, and you know, just the nicest guys, cool guys. They really genuinely love what they do. And and I was with you uh, a few months ago at the Judas Priest concert, and I got oh, yeah. to hang with Rob Alford and really speak to him because I was absolutely moved by his performance. That was I mean? such a great night, man. They were so it, on that it, night. Yeah. But I got to tell him, Rob, I believed every fucking word you said up there. Yeah. And he looked me right in the eye and he goes, because it's fucking real. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he, he's not up there going through the motions. He's, he's fucking, he's selling every fucking word. I mean, painkiller, he looked like he was giving 
birth on the stage. <laughs> yeah, that's you true. Know what I mean? He's totally. on his hands and knees squeezing out a puppy out of his ass, fucking screaming. And then 30 minutes after the show, he's hanging out with us like, like it's no big deal. You know what I mean? Right like, on. But he, you know, that to me, that's more, more genuine than, you know, just writing bullshit songs to appease your fans. You know what I mean? I, totally. I respect people who have been successful being artists. Right on. Not, and, not, not a cookie cutter, uh, you know, conveyor belt of, of the same old shit. <laughs> right on. So, so Rob, we got to wrap it up here in a couple of minutes, but, but yep. real quick, kind of flash forwarding to the, uh, the generation kill days. Um, yeah. you guys have two records, great records that, that have come out and there's been just before you, you know, the DMC fragile mortal stuff, uh, I just uh-huh. want to kind of focus on on the Generation Kill, you know, 2010 to 2014 era, if you will. There's been a number okay. of of lineup changes. I think you're now on your third drummer. Is that right? Yeah. Well, what what happened with? What let's ha- go back to Sam. Like Sam, Sam played okay. on the the for the first record, Red, White, and Yeah, well, Blood. Me and Sam- what, me and Sam were jamming together, filling in in a in a hardcore band called Undivided. And um, at that point, me and Rob Dukes were already in works on Generation Kill. At that point, Generation Kill was me and Rob. And it was, let's get together and write some songs and throw a band together and just see what happens. You know what I mean? Like, no intention of getting signed or, or making a record. Let's just throw, throw some shit against the wall and see what sticks. So I said, all right, I, I got a drummer. You know, I'm working with now. He's a good guy, good drummer. And then Rob said, well, whatever happened to your mutilation guys that used to play with? He's like, I always wanted to be in a band with Jason Trenzer. Right. And I was like, I'm still in touch with him, and he still plays. And uh, I said, but I got the other guy, um, Lou. Me and Lou were doing these acoustic unplugged shows at that point. Just you know, just to, just for fun and make and a couple of bucks. That's Lou, Lou, Lou Let- Lechman, is that his name? Uh, Lehman, Lehman, Lehman. Okay. So he was in. He was on the uh, mutilation record with me and Jay Trenzer. So I said, "Look, I'll bring Lou in, and we'll get Trenzer too. We'll reunite the three of us from mutilation and this thing." And but at that in mutilation, basically, I was taking orders from them because it was their band. Now the roles have reversed, and me and Rob had already the ball rolling with Generation Kill. So that was kind of like we were running the show, and it was a little weird at that point because like. Um, you know, we, we, me and Rob already had a vision of what was going to happen. And, and, and those two were just kind of along for the ride at the point, at that point. And Sam was basically the same. They were just there, you know, like, it was like, yeah, let's just go. But what happened is, uh, we did half a, we did like half a record. And then we hooked up with a manager who shopped that half and said, you know, we're just looking for someone to finance the second half of the record and release Ah, okay. So at that point, my only criteria for the record was, Rob, I don't want to do Exodus Jr. He goes, me neither. I said, so I want to take some risks with this first record, you know? And he said, in what way? And I said, well, you know, I like your singing voice. I don't want to just have you screaming all the time. I love Children of a Worthless God. It's like the best Exodus song I've ever heard, Yeah, you know, across the board. The voice is incredible. I want to work with that voice. I like your screen voice too, but what really 
grabbed me as a singing voice. So I, he said, perfect. I go, and what, what would you like to try? And he goes, well, I'd like to do something where we do something like a fade to black, but have the balls to not get heavy. Yeah, Just okay. have a whole song from beginning to end. Because nobody does that in metal. You know what I mean? Like, in, in, in that genre of metal. And that became Dark Days. Me and Rob recorded Dark Days ourselves without the band. It was just me, him, in my house with my 12-string guitar and a keyboard that I found in the garbage. Wow. You know? And, and it was artistic right off the bat. And luckily, from that first record, Self-Medicating, Dark Days, Feast for the Wolves, it set the tone for the future of Generation Kill that now on our first album that we've done acoustic song, keyboards, singing, from here on out, we can go anywhere and not have a backlash of what are these guys doing. Right. We did it on our first record. So Self Med so, opened, the, opened the door for Prophets of War on the next record. The right. end of... Uh, that there, there, uh, there is no hope. Um, it opened the door of artistic freedom. So that first record, as raw and unfocused as it is, it was hugely important to the to the next record to me, which is light years more focused and developed. Right. And, and the next record, of course, is we're go- we're all we're all going to die. And yeah. on that record. Sam is not there, who played drums on the first record. He's Yeah, he's, Sam uh, was released out of, you know, just, it wasn't anything that he had done, anything that he, you know, it was more, when Sam was released, it really wasn't a serious band yet, and Rob wanted to get one of his friends in the band. And at that point, um we didn't really have this solid lineup at that point. And, um, unfortunately Rob was completely misled, you know, where this guy latched on to Rob, you know, posing as a friend to, to better himself in the music industry. Okay. Now and we, 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 you're talking away. about the, the drummer who played on we're all yeah. going to die. Okay. Yeah. We, we, what happened was we threw away a good guy for, for, um, being you know, Sam, I, I don't want to be Sam. Guy, then... It was a mistake. It was an absolute mistake getting rid of Sam. And, okay. and we all acknowledge that. And I've spoken to Sam and apologized. And then um, G- Jim sort of, comes in, Jim DiMaria, right? He replaces Sam. Yeah, but what happened, the, the mistake was that Sam was a better drummer. Um, and what happened was, um, Pro Tools, um, Sometimes Pro Tools save a drummer's performance. Okay. And what happens when you do that, it um, also, Pro Tools could be your friend, but in this case it became his enemy because he could never match what was on the record. So night after night, it was inconsistencies, and we were expecting, you know, we raised the bar on that record but he could never reach it. Okay. We all stepped it up. And then, you know, musically, writing, playing, but we, we, we stepped him up with technology, drum editing and, and pro tools and beat detective. But in doing that, when we went on a tour to Europe, 
night after night after night after night, it was, we fell short in the drum department because I think we raised the bar too high for him. You know what I mean? So what, what you're saying is, is Jim was released because he wasn't released. We didn't have the heart to release him because he was our friend for 20 something years. And so we kept him, you know, we said, we'll sacrifice the sound of the band and we'll sacrifice because we just don't want to, but when you're, um, so did he quit the band then? Yeah. When, what happens is this, when you're falling short of what's expected of you, you start to to, do, um, concoct, uh, diversion tactics to take the focal point off of your own shortcomings. Right. And it was like, you know, just taking jabs at people behind their backs and like poison to a band. Basically, it's cancer to a band. Like Rob Dukes brought him into the band and he's talking shit to Rob about Rob Dukes to me. Right. Okay. And and I've known the guy for 30 years. He's talking shit about me to Dukes. And and he's talking about it's cancer to a band. And and Rob came from a world like that. And, and and honestly, that's when I when I quit propane. It was like in '96, propane was was on point, destroying everybody because we were a team. And when when that underworld, underground backstabbing bullshit starts, you're old. You're done. Yeah, you totally. can drag it out. You could fake it. So it was just going on way too much and way too much. And then I, I think he just got the 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 vibe that we had had enough. Right. And so who replaced Jim? Who's currently in the band? Can you tell um, us? Rob, Rob Ewells, who Rob I had Ewells. jammed with briefly in a band called Full Scale Riot with Timmy okay. from MOD. Which makes three and, Robs uh, currently in the band. You got Rob, yeah, Dukes, three Rob, and two Jason. And, and, and Jason, right, okay. But when I had jammed with Rob, you know, about nine years ago, I knew immediately this guy has technique. This guy has skill. You know, yeah, he's great. I mean, because I've, I've only seen him live with you guys, but... Uh, you know, and I, I, I I'll, I'll say I liked uh, Jim's playing. I'm not, I'm not sure I ever saw you. I'm trying to remember if I saw you live with, with Jim DeMaria. I, I don't know if that I did, but I liked his playing on the record. And uh, I, but when I saw Rob with you at Dingbats, uh, what's Rob's last name, by the way? Yules. Yules. Rob Yules. Uh, man, he was just uh, not only musically great but he's got kind of that showman vibe going too which when you're seeing somebody live it's always a lot of fun he was he was well, great you know what it is he plays the fast stuff effortlessly yeah and in the past when we did the we're all gonna die stuff you know with the prior drummer it was like anytime it did a drum fill in the fast part i i would equate it to like throwing a dozen eggs up in the air and then hoping they all land back at the slots. Like every right. time there was a drum fill, we would hold our breath. This guy has technique and skill and he's a big muscle guy, but he doesn't really use that. He uses proper technique and, 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 um, it's just a lot smoother. It sounds, honestly, it sounds closer to the record, which is, you know, all recorded on perfect time with a metronome and, Right, but it's yeah. just a lot smoother and a lot more, you know. Yeah, and I mean, I would go back and re-record that record with him, but you know, I wouldn't do it. I would go do a live album before we right. did that. But 
and he's Rob got is a powerhouse. You yeah, know? and like I said, and, he's he's just got that showmanship too, which I think in a live setting is is important and uh, and adds to what you guys are doing because he's he's but listen, a great I mean, presence on the stage. We wouldn't have been able to record because you've heard pretty much the whole Fragile Mortals album. Yeah, it, it, probably not in its not completed form. Written, but yes, we couldn't have written that material with the with the previous drummer. We right. it, it, he elevated us. You know what I mean? Um, he plays like the tool drummer. You know what I mean? That's how. That's his technique. It's Danny like, Carey, yeah. It elevated us as writers. So you, you surround okay. yourself with great writers and great players. You know, it's going to elevate your game, or or you're going to do what the Friar guy did and just self destruct because right you, you can't. You know, you can't live up to that, or you're not willing to challenge yourself you know, to do that. But what happened with, with Yules is we like, you know, we, we said we have an amazing drummer here. We'd be morons to, um, to neuter him. You know what I yeah, mean? We need right to, we, if you notice that the newer stuff with him is more progressive because he can actually pull it off, you know? Right. Great player for sure. And, and yeah. we got, we definitely got to wrap things up here, but real, okay. real quick on, on the first record, red, white and blood, the first generation yeah. kill record, uh, Lou Le- Lehman that you you yeah. mentioned. Uh, now he, who sadly I, I believe passed on, uh, he. Um, yeah. But he before he before he died, he uh, he wasn't a part of 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 the uh, the next record. Um, We're all gonna die. Uh, what, no, no. What what happened with Lou? Um, unfortunately, like I wasn't really um, knowledgeable on like any kind of. Um, I think he was struggling, and I'm not going to say with mental illness, but I think he was struggling with depression and anxiety, which at that point I didn't understand, so I wasn't really sympathetic to it at all. And in hindsight, having gone through it myself with what happened to my brothers, I'm way more sympathetic to it. But at that point, we didn't understand it. So... The the lack of um, he was an incredible player. That's the shame of it all. Just a great Man. writer, a player, um, but was struggling in life. Gotcha. And and what happened is you know a week before, or a couple of weeks before the God forbid show we were doing, he just stopped showing up. Oh wow! And we were like, this is an important show, you know, and. Uh, it, it, it was just like he had us between a rock and a hard place. But fortunately, you know, when I see things are starting to slip, I always have a backup plan. And, and if you're slipping in this band, someone's waiting in the wings. I mean, I get calls every other week by other musicians looking to do something and they're hungry and they're, and that's what, you know, Jason Velez had already filled in a few times and he already had known the set. So So the natural guy to go to a week before our, our show and and another rehearsal blown off. I just said, you know what? You're out. We're not, we're not going to be prisoner to you not living up to your, you know, obligation to the band, you know? And unfortunately I didn't really know he was, he was struggling. And then um, a few years after we had released him, he had um, had a heart attack yeah. uh, at his job. I don't know if it was related to his stress, stressed out 
situation or hereditary. I didn't get much of the details, but what or happened both. was, yeah. you know, the band, not, we did not, I don't, I don't want to take credit for this, but we were, we were part of giving him a very good send off because he came from a very, he came from a broken home and, um, a, you know, a family that, that was, you know, he basically raised himself, you know, and, and, uh, they didn't have money to give him a proper burial and funeral. So, uh, one of his friends, Don Fullerton and his NYDM group, um, did like a, you fund me kind of thing. And we, we all contributed all the guys in our band too. And many others, like I said, I'm not taking credit for anything other than contributing to their cause. And we gave him a proper, wake and burial and cool. tombstone and, and everything. You know what I mean? Cause at, at that point, you, you know, there wasn't going to be any of that, right. you know? So, yeah. um, I, you know, I made amends with that whole situation and, and you know, I, and, um, it was sad, but feast for the wolves is his song and it's a very good song and we play it every night, you know, but we don't do what Exodus did with bail you know what I mean? Like, they threw him away like a piece of garbage, and now they now they 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 uh, re- re- refer to him as like this living legend. He was the greatest. He was right. he was so great you wouldn't have fucking fired him and thrown him away. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if you can capitalize on it, yeah, he's he you know bonded by blood, blah blah blah. Yeah, whatever. I, I don't buy it. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. We're not going to do that with Lou. Things didn't end very well with Lou. We 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 made our personal amends with with him at his wake. And services and uh, he, we play Feast for the Wolves not in his honor. We play it because it's a great fucking song and and he he wrote it. You know what I mean? So right. he lives every night that we play that track. But we we're not going to uh, exploit that situation and make it you. like you know put up a big you know sign a big banner on our stage and everything like that because it would be fake. You know? It would be, yeah. It would, no, I hear you definitely. You know. <laughs> All right, well, well Rob, there's uh, just an amazing history there with with you and and you know, I'm very very excited for the the world to hear the Fragile Mortals record, the collaboration between Generation Kill and DMC and and I guess now the Unity, right, under this new name. It's it's uh, it's not just two different things working together. It is its own thing. Yeah, and it and it means we get to make a second album. Cool. <laughs> And yeah. last question, real quick, before I let you go. Um, just, I assume Generation Kill will still continue, though, right? Yeah, we're writing a new album. Right oh wow! Now. Okay, and, and we're playing. We're playing next week a metal fest as Generation Kill. Cool. And uh, Bobby Blitz from Overkill is hosting it, and we're actually going to do a Power Surge. We're nice. playing Overkill song for him, Vintage, and then we're going to yeah. do uh, War Pigs where him and Dukes can do a little duet together, you know? Nice, nice. And we're writing a new G-Kill record, but what happened is uh, doing the Fragile Mortals record, it elevated us as writers, and it, the next G-Kill record is going to be a step up from We're All Gonna Die, you know, which is what you're supposed to do, you know? Which is a great record, yeah. Cool, let's... We're, uh... we're going to outdo it. I, I swear, you know, I promise everyone we're, we're going to outdo that record, and that's what we're going to keep doing, pushing the envelope and... and just trying to uh, outdo ourselves and not worry about what the fuck's going on in, in music. 
Yeah, you know what I liked about "You're All Gonna Die" besides the great songs and the the energy and, and the emotion, and it just it's it's you guys kept the record short, and and it's one of those records that after you listen to it, you want to it leaves you wanting more, and I think that's the golden yeah. rule of show business, no matter what what type of show business you're doing is leave them wanting more, and so many performers don't get that they they you know it's like it's like you can fit like 70 some minutes on a cd but yeah. you don't you don't really want to because sometimes you know it, it's it's it it's better to keep it short and mo- more potent and that's how albums Whoa. were back in the uh the 70s and 80s you know and and i think that's yeah i mean nice. unless you're talking about like physical graffiti or pink floyd the wall or whatever but you know uh, eight or nine songs you know it kind of covers everything, you know. You can do everything you want in eight or nine songs, you know. Any more than that, you know, the American public, the attention span is kind of short, right? So it's like uh, you got to you got to hit hard and and get your point across and everything. But right on, it was unintentional the way that record came together. And this fragile moral record is nine songs and a bonus track. Okay. It just seems to be uh, our comfort zone, you know. What I mean, maybe Good. one day we'll just, you know, double album, but I, I don't see it. <laughs> well, Rob, thanks so much for talking with us on on Talking Metal and uh, great stories, and and uh, really, really looking forward to hearing the final product. You've been kind enough to share some some of the uh, the initial mixes and stuff of some of the songs off this Fragile Mortals record with me. Um, yeah, back, back when it was still called. Uh, DMC and Generation Kill, and and I think uh, this is going to be a, a great thing, and I'm I'm so excited for people to hear it, and I'm so excited to hear the final finished product. So uh, two songs on the way. You said July fifth. Looking forward. July fourth, July fifth. Okay, yeah, two awesome. day a, a day apart on iTunes, and you can go to our Facebook page, Generation Kill Official. Cool. We'll have it linked through today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com, along with some of those video. Vlogs, I guess you call them, that we mentioned yeah. earlier. They're on the uh, Fragile Mortals YouTube page.
What you just heard was Mark's interview with Rob Machete of Generation Kill, and that was a little Vegas by Generation Kill. Great interview, Mark. Thanks, man. It was a long one, but a lot of good stuff in there. I hope the listeners uh, stuck with it because it definitely is is a long one. And, and you know, Rob isn't really a household name, Rob Machete, but he definitely has a lot of great history and stories and just a, a you know a, a tragic tragic thing that happened to him with both of his his brothers passing away in a three-month period recently so uh I, I tell you my my heart goes out to him uh yeah, definitely and hats off to him that he's kept kept working i mean because a lot of people would get hit with something like that and just kind of dig a hole and stay there you know so uh yeah, yeah i i really excited for everyone to hear this fragile mortals record mortal fragile fragile mortals i always get that mixed up with rob machete rob dukes who's of course the great voice of of exodus for like 10 years and <clears throat> of course daryl mcdaniels of run dmc fame so that's that's about it john Very um, cool. yeah what a great episode ian yeah. and rob and uh all the cool Metallica stuff and uh, sounds cool. Yeah, the Metallica watch, definitely. Yeah, cool. Well, let's maybe hit another Generation Kill thing here song to uh, wrap it up and just remind the Talking Metal listeners to use those Amazon links on the site and go to talkingmetal.com to see pictures and read the show notes. We always have pictures that go along with the episode. Yeah. Hey, I, I have a, a little 30. 15 second story i was Do out it. in long island i yeah. went to see joe walsh and bad company with len uh a great concert and uh went to the uh amityville horror house after oh, nice. the next morning I, I don't know if we can post a photo but uh maybe i'll send you one of those and if you can add it to the oh, show yeah. notes that'd be great yeah, yeah I, I know that you know they hate when tourists do this or or i don't know if i, I i'm considered a tourist i guess of amityville i am a tourist and uh, uh, but but I love that whole Amityville story and uh, uh, went out there. Believe it or not, there uh, that's very close to the Daisy where where Kiss played one of their first shows back in 1973. And there's a, a cool place uh, called Revolution out there. It's a, a club. Heard of that? Yeah. Yeah, we should go there. I, we drove by it, and uh, a good friend uh, Dave uh, is the owner of that. Uh, and uh, it'd be cool to go there uh, sometime. They had an Ace guitar. It got stolen. Um, and Ace uh, was nice enough to sign another guitar for them uh, for free, of course, uh, since uh, theirs was stolen, which is cool. a tragedy. Uh, not that big of a tragedy, but you know what I mean. All right. Okay, so yeah. This is Prophets of War. It's off the We're Gonna Die record, which was released back in 2013 by Generation Kill. Again, Rob Machete is the bassist in this band, uh, songwriter and, and uh, main dude. One of the dominant members of the band, I would I would say, uh, cool. just a great guy. I really like Rob Machete, and yep. of course Rob Dukes too. Uh, one wonderful, wonderful combination of people. Yeah, yeah. So Generation Kill on Talking Metal.
former President George W. Bush. It's well known that he and I agreed about the war from its outset. We will disrupt, dismantle, and terrorize the world. Demise should be welcomed by all who believe in peace. There should be no hope. May death bless you. And may darkness bless the United States of America.